Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith as those doctrines are explained for us in the Belgic Confession of Faith. Now, the last time we learned that God reveals himself in his word, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Today, we want to consider that subject in more detail as we consider the canon of Scripture, which refers to those books which the church as a whole considers to be the inspired word of God. Now, this is explained in Articles 4 through 6 of this confession. But before we turn to that, let's first read from the Holy Scriptures. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, as we read the verses 13 through 21. Hear the word of God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, from time to time, authors will publish a sequel to a novel that either they or others have written. The sequel follows up on the storyline presented in the novel. It adds further information and further detail that the original story doesn't provide. But there is one book that will never have a sequel. Nor can a single word of this book ever be changed or modified, for it is perfect and complete as it is. And I'm referring, of course, to the Holy Bible. During the past several Lord's Days, we've been reflecting on the revelation of God in light of the Belgic Confession of Faith. And in Article 2, we learned that God reveals himself to us in two ways. First of all, in the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. So we call that general revelation. And secondly, he reveals himself to us in his holy and divine word, which we call special revelation. 
And we've also seen that of these two forms of revelation, special revelation is the most important. And that's because special revelation reveals to us things that general revelation does not. Things that we need to know in order to be saved. Well, then in Article 3, we learned how God transmitted his word to us. Namely, it was not sent or delivered by the will of man, but as our confession says, it was delivered by holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And we call that process inspiration, which means breathed out. Literally, God breathed his words into the writers of Scripture so that what they wrote was exactly what he wanted them to write. Now, our confession continues its summary of the doctrine of Scripture in Articles 4 through 6, and it does so by considering the canon of Scripture. And in these articles, we learn that the Bible is a closed book. It is finished. It is completed. Nothing can or may be taken away from it or added to it. Well, with this in mind and God's help, let's consider this subject under the theme, the completed word of God. And we'll see that this word is, first of all, received by the church. Secondly, it is witnessed by the Spirit. And thirdly, it is embraced by the believer. Article 4 of the Belgic Confession of Faith begins by declaring, and I quote, that the Holy Scriptures are contained in two books, namely the Old and New Testaments, which are canonical, against which nothing can be alleged. So our confession here refers to the canon of Scripture. Now, what is the canon of Scripture? Well, the word canon comes from the Greek word kanon, which means rule or standard. So the canon of Scripture consists of those books or writings that the church regards as the rule or standard of faith and practice. Now, what are these writings? Well, they're listed for us in Article 4, of the Belgic Confession. They are the 66 books that make up the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments. Now, if you have a copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith in front of you, then you may have noticed a few, peculi- a few peculiarities about this list. You notice, first of all, that the Book of Lamentations is not mentioned. And that's because, historically, this book is considered to be part of the prophecy of Jeremiah. Mention is also made of 1st Ezra. And that's the book that we commonly refer to as the book of Ezra. And it's called 1st Ezra because, historically, the book of Nehemiah was referred to as 2nd Ezra. Mention is also made in this list of the paralipomenon. And that word means the omitted things. And this is the word that was used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to refer to First and Second Chronicles, since those books contained the things that were omitted in the preceding historical books of the canon, namely First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. The point is, we recognize these 66 books and no others as forming the canon of Scripture. These books and these alone are our only authority 
for faith and practice. Now, to be sure, this was not always the case. From the very beginning, there were people in the church who disputed which books should be included in the canon. For example, there was a man by the name of Marcion who lived during the second century AD, and he rejected all of the books of the Old Testament as well as the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. There were others at that time who questioned whether Hebrews or James and 2 Peter and 2 and 3 John should be included in the canon. Now, this is not to say that there was widespread disagreement in the church as to which books should be included. There wasn't. From the very beginning, the vast majority of the church recognized the books that we now regard as canonical. But there were pockets of disagreement, and it wasn't until the 4th century that the canon of Scripture was firmly and finally established. Now, how did the church come to that determination? How did the church decide which books should be included in the canon? Well, first of all, we need to point out that the church did not decide this at all, at least not in and of herself. She was guided to this conclusion by the Holy Spirit. And that should not surprise us. In John chapter 16, the Lord Jesus said that he would send his Holy Spirit who would lead his church into all truth. And he did. And the canon of Scripture is a good example of this. The Holy Spirit did not leave the church to figure this out on her own. No, he guided the church over, over many years towards this conclusion, just as he guides individual believers still today. Now, having said that, the church did employ several objective criteria to help her distinguish which books should be included in the canon. First of all, they had to conform to what's called the rule of faith. So the church asked, did the book conform to orthodoxy? Was it consistent with the books that we know for sure are authoritative and inspired? Secondly, they said they had to be written by one of the apostles or someone who had direct and immediate contact with the apostles. And thirdly, they said they had to be recognized by the majority of the church as being part of the canonical scriptures. So if a writing conformed to these qualifications, it was accepted as part of the canon. If it didn't, then it was rejected. The point is the canon of Scripture was not determined carelessly or arbitrarily, but carefully and prayerfully as she was led by the Spirit of God. Now aside from the canonical books, there are also what we call apocryphal books. And what are these books? Well, the word apocrypha is derived from the Greek word apokryphos, meaning hidden or secret. The apocrypha are a collection of writings of unknown origin and of questionable authority. And some people in the early church believed that they should be part of the canon as well. And most of these writings date from the intertestamental period, the 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testaments, but they also include some writings that were as late as 100 AD, and they're listed in Article 6 of the Belgic Confession. Now, significantly, these writings were not included in the canon. In fact, the church officially rejected them at the Council of Laodicea in 364 AD, and again at the Council of Constantinople in 681 AD. 
Now, why did the church reject these writings? Well, several reasons. First of all, some of these writings are so fanciful that they're obviously not inspired. For example, in the book of Bell and the Dragon, Daniel proves that the king's God was not eating the food that was offered to it, but instead a fierce dragon was the culprit. And Daniel then slew the dragon by making him eat indigestible cake. Secondly, some of these writings contain obvious historical inaccuracies. For example, in the book Judith, Nebuchadnezzar is called the king of Nineveh, even though Nineveh was destroyed years before Nebuchadnezzar's time. Also, the book Wisdom describes Olympic-style athletic contests in the time of Solomon, even though these games did not exist until the time of the Greek Empire. Thirdly, some contain doctrines which contradict the teaching of the canonical books. For example, some of them display negative attitudes towards women. Some teach salvation by good works, and some teach the doctrine of purgatory. Fourthly, none of these writings are cited in the New Testament. Fifthly, neither the Jewish church prior to the coming of Christ or the early New Testament church accepted these writings as part of the canon. And finally, at least one of these apocryphal books, 2 Maccabees, openly states that it is not inspired. Now, there's only two churches today that accept the Apocrypha as being canonical, and that's the Roman Catholic Church, which did so at the Council of Trent in 1545, as well as the Orthodox Church. But all Protestant churches reject them. Now, does that mean that we may not read them? No, we may read them. In fact, the Belgian Confession says this, we may read them and even take instruction from them so far as they agree with the canonical books. In fact, it's interesting that the Dutch State Bible, known as the Stadtvertaling, included the Apocrypha in the back of the Bible in a separate section. But we confess here that, and I quote, that they are far from having such power and efficacy as that we may from their testimony confirm any point of faith or of the Christian religion, much less to detract from the authority of the other sacred books. Now sometimes the question is asked, what if an ancient manuscript written by an apostle was suddenly discovered, let's say in a cave someplace or buried under the ground? Or what if some godly minister or theologian wrote something that he claimed was inspired scripture. Should we then include these writings in the Bible? Well, the answer to that question is unequivocally no. And that's because the canon of scripture is complete. Nothing can be taken from it or added to it. Now, that's exactly what the scriptures teach. We read together from Revelation 22. And in verses 18 and 19, John writes these words, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And so the scriptures are clear. The canon of scripture is closed. It is complete. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. So we see then what care 
God has taken for us and for our salvation to ensure that we would receive his holy and infallible word. He guided the church by his Holy Spirit through the centuries so that the Bible that we have today is exactly the Bible God wanted us to have, no more and no less. The canon of Scripture, therefore, was received by the church for the regulation, foundation, and confirmation of our faith. But it was also confirmed by the Holy Spirit. That brings me to my second point. We've seen that which books constitute the canon of Scripture and why. But how do we know whether the church did not make a mistake? On what grounds do we accept these books and these only for the regulation, foundation, and confirmation of our faith? Well, first of all, let's be clear on what is not the ground. Article 5 of the Belgian Confession says that the ground of this conviction is not so much that the church receives and approves them as such. Now, our confession here is referring to the fact that it was not until the end of the 4th century AD at the Synod of Carthage in 397 that the church finally and officially declared which books are to be considered canonical. Now, although that certainly counts for something, it is not primarily because the church made such a declaration that we accept the books of the Bible as holy and canonical. Now, in that respect, the Belgian Confession distances itself from the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church says that the canon is what it is because the church says so. The church then stands above the canon. But that is false. The church does not stand above the canon. The canon, rather, stands above the church. One writer says this, and I quote, The church has not made or established the canon, but found it. The canon came to to the fore on its own. God took care of that. First he gave the books, and then he also let them be found. All that the church did was simply receive and accept these books. Well, on what ground then do we accept these books as holy and canonical? If it's not because the church receives and approves them as such, then why? And to that question, our confession gives a most surprising answer. And it says, and I quote, because the Holy Spirit witnesses in our hearts that they are from God. Now, this is not mysticism. Our confession here is not declaring that the Holy Spirit reveals to us that these writings are holy and canonical by means of some kind of divine voice or a vision or some other kind of extraordinary revelation. It's simply stating a scriptural truth that the Holy Spirit himself opens our ears and our hearts to the voice of God speaking to us in his word. Same writer that I quoted earlier says this, and I quote, He opens our eyes for the splendor and truth of Scripture and makes us bow down before its authority. And that's because the divinity and truth of Scripture can be perceived. Just as chocolate has its own flavor by which it can be distinguished from coffee, so Scripture has its own power and effect by which it can be distinguished also from the books of great 
spiritual writers, end quote. Now, there's a mystery here, to be sure, but it's very real. And this is why believers are willing to suffer persecution, even death, for the sake of the Scriptures, because they're absolutely convinced that they are the true and complete Word of God. But that's not all. According to Article 5 of the Belgian Confession, aside from the witness of the Holy Spirit, we know that the Scriptures are from God because, and I quote, they carry the evidence in themselves, end quote. Now we call this the self-authentication of the Scriptures. And by this we mean that the Scriptures contain evidence within themselves that they are from God. Now, what is that evidence? Well, we can think of the fact that the Scriptures themselves say they are inspired. We think of 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, where Paul writes, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Or we can think of the fact that many of the prophets begin their prophecies with this well-known phrase, Thus says the Lord. They would never say that unless they were convinced that what they were writing was from the Lord. But our confession refers to something else as well. It refers to the fulfillment of prophecy. The scriptures contain many, many prophecies. Some of these prophecies include the Lord telling Abram that his descendants would be slaves for 400 years. We can read about that in Genesis 15. Or the fact that Christ would be born of a virgin. We can read of that in Isaiah 7. Or the fact that a man by the name of Cyrus would allow the Jews to return to the promised land after their captivity in Babylon. We can read of that in Isaiah 45. Or we have in the Old Testament the details concerning the suffering and death of of Christ. We can read of that in Psalm 22 as well as in Isaiah 53. And the fact that many of these prophecies have been fulfilled proves that the scriptures are indeed from God. In fact, our confession says, and I quote, that the very blind are able to perceive that the things foretold in them are being fulfilled, end quote. The blind are those who do not accept that the scriptures are inspired. And our confession says that even they must admit that the scriptures are from God because even they can see that the prophecies have been and are being fulfilled. And so the scriptures confirm that, this, that they are the completed word of God and that they are from God. Well, if that is true, then it must also be embraced. And that brings us to our third and final point. We've seen that the scriptures are from God. And we know this not only or even primarily because the church receives and approves them as such, but because of the witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and the evidence that the scriptures contain in themselves. Now, that can only lead to one conclusion. We must believe what the scriptures teach. In fact, that's precisely what we confess in Article 5. There we confess, and I quote, that we receive all these books and these only as holy and canonical for the regulation, foundation, and confirmation of our faith, believing without any doubt all things contained in them. So the believer in Christ must believe all that the scriptures contain. And that includes such fundamental truths as the virgin birth of Christ, the miracles of Christ, the divine and human natures of Christ, 
the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, the fact that salvation is only by grace through faith in the atoning work of Christ alone. It includes truths as well that we don't fully understand, such as the fact that God created the world and everything in it by speaking a word, and that he did so in six literal 24-hour days. It includes accepting the fact that Jonah was swallowed up by a great fish, and he spent three days and three nights in its belly. It includes the fact that Balaam's donkey spoke, and that the sun stood still, and a host of other matters in Scripture that have no naturalistic or scientific explanation. It also includes matters over which there is considerable discussion and disagreement, but on which the Scriptures are abundantly clear, such as the fact that homosexuality is a sin, that marriage can only be between one man and one woman, that the offices of the church are restricted to men only, that sex outside of marriage is sinful, that the Lord's day is to be kept holy, and I could go on and on. The believer in Christ believes all these things and everything else that the Scriptures contain without any doubt. So let me ask you today, do you also believe these things? You know, by nature we don't, nor can we. The Apostle Paul says that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In order to believe these things, in order to believe what the Scriptures contain, our eyes need to be opened by the Spirit of God. And even then, they need to continue to be opened to behold even more wondrous truths out of God's law. Well, my friend, has he done that in your life? Do you believe that the Scriptures, all that the Scriptures teach? Do you especially believe that the, what the Bible says about you, that you are a sinner before God who deserves God's wrath and condemnation? Do you believe what the Scriptures teach about Christ, that he is the only Savior from sin? Do you believe what the Scriptures teach about salvation, that if you repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus, you can receive the pardon of your sins and everlasting life? Oh, do not believe these things because that's what the church teaches. Don't believe these things because that's what you've been taught from the time that you were a child. Don't believe these things because that's what your parents or people from the church expect you to believe. No, believe them because this is what the Scriptures teach knowing that the Scriptures cannot lie. Well, dear friends, the Lord in His grace has given us His holy and infallible Word. Every word of the Scriptures is inspired. Every book is canonical. It is, in truth, the very Word of God Himself. Oh, let us then believe it with all of our heart. And let us especially do what it says. And let us treasure and preserve it until that day when the Lord will come again. What a glorious day that will be. Then there will be no more Bible or any need for a Bible. For we will see Christ, who is the full and complete revelation of God. And we who are in him shall commune with him and revel in his glory to all eternity. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth. 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M2. 
1-800-242-9419. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgian Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio, all one word, dot com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.